Here is again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Debbie Harry! That's right. You sing with that rock group. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the April 1980 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. We've got a really interesting playlist. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Joseph, but I have been listening to this and I've I've got all these songs stuck in my head. I'm I'm really, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. It's It's a huge leap up. In quality from March, we're not going to have time for much idle chit-chat because we have to cover 15 albums <laughs> yeah. this session, which I think is the most that we've ever done in one rundown session. Thankfully, we're going to break it up into two parts, but we got to like chop, chop. <laughs> we got so <laughs> much going on and most of it quite good. So I'm really looking forward to these next two episodes of just really good music. Um, why don't we go ahead and kick it off real quick with some music and let's go ahead and play something by the feelies. This is original love. You said no when I asked you for a compromise, just a compromise. Now I don't know why I asked you, so it's such a problem. Why make it a problem? You must be waiting for things to happen, expecting something to happen. This is more like it, Rob. I am such a happy camper. April, thank God for April. There are two albums here that I have discovered, more or less, that I absolutely love, love, love. A lot of these albums I really like. A couple I don't care for, and then one of them I despise. So Ooh. we're gonna we're kind of <laughs> I got a lot of emotions yeah. <laughs> writing on this yeah. one, as opposed to last episode where it was one emotion, which was frustration. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm with you on that. Um, I have to say that I I feel like last episode. My energy was kind of low, and it had to do with how bleak I felt about the playlist. Mm, um, mm. But but this one, there's some stuff I really like. There's some stuff that I like okay. There's nothing on here that I'm like, this is crap. I don't want to ever hear it again. And, uh, oh. you know, that... Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> to each his own um <laughs> yeah there's always one <laughs> yeah there's yeah and and who knows actually there might be one missing off my list so we'll see mm, what happens mm, but no mm. i um there's nothing here that just made me disgusted so my suspicion is that uh at the end of the season we're going to look back and we're going to say without a doubt that march was the weakest month but I think April, as good as it is, just looking ahead, I think April might be the second weakest, which says a lot about 1980 in general, just how good yeah. it is. Um, just 
I think there's there's only one, maybe two sort of iconic albums in April, whereas starting in May, you know, pretty much every month you see two or three or four really iconic albums. So so um, it's just it just keeps getting better and better. Hey, I want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated uh, because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. Speaking of which, Professor Rob, what was going on in April 1980? Let's go ahead and look at some of the number one U.S. hits. We've got another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd. Uh, Call Me by Blondie, one of my faves. Just everybody get familiar with hearing this song <laughs> listed uh, at the top yeah. of each show because it's it's yeah. ca- it's going to camp out at number one for a while. I mean, it's still being played like crazy on the radio. <laughs> so Notable movies. Well, there's one where the Buffalo Roam uh, debuting on television was Fridays. Are you familiar with Fridays? No, not at all. That was one of the competitors' attempt to um, do a Saturday Night Live type ah. sketch show that flopped. Well, okay, yeah, we see why. I mean, especially if you're trying to compete with Saturday Night Live, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, no- notable events. There was well, the Post-it note was introduced. And, uh, you know, it's such a hit. I mean, I used five of them today. Contrary to popular belief, it was not uh, Rami and Michelle who invented the post-it note. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Howard Stern began broadcasting on WWW Detroit, Michigan. And the longest jump by a jet boat is set at 120 feet. Okay, so... Maybe not an extraordinary month for um, <laughs> anything other than punk and new wave albums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, another brick in the wall, part two by Pink Floyd and Call Me by Blondie. I think I think those are two notable, uh, two notable yeah. things. You know, I, yeah. I, I mean, the post-it note's fine, but those two, <laughs> you know. <laughs> other albums released that we will not be covering in April is, uh, I think the most notable one is Lou Reed's album called Growing Up in Public. Yeah. Rob, is, is this uh, an album of, of his that you're familiar with? I went and listened I, to it. It was, it was okay. I have everything Lou Reed has ever done. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. April also saw releases by Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper, Boss Gags, Cameo, Dolly Parton, Brian Eno, and The Grateful Dead. So if you were a headbanger, April was a good month for mm. you. Well, I am a fan of Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper. And I <laughs> like me some Dolly Parton, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to kick things off with the Feelies debut album called Crazy Rhythms. We briefly discussed this album during our mailbag episode uh, a 
couple of weeks back and because it was originally released in the UK in February and April it was released here in the US. During that episode, we listened to a cut off of this album called Fossi La, which is very different than most of the other songs off of this album. As we previously mentioned, this is kind of a, a cult favorite, one that uh, was highly influential for um, artists to come. Rolling Stone thinks that this is the 49th best album of the 80s, and Pitchfork calls it the 69th best of the 80s album. This band is from New Jersey, uh, formed in 1976, but didn't release their debut album until 1980. The band's name is taken from a fictional entertainment device described in A Brave New World. That's a book I'm sure you've read multiple times, right? In the 80s, it was hard to get through high school without reading that book. Yeah. (laughs) They broke up for the first time after the release of this album, but have gotten back together, reformed from time to time. And if you're curious to see the feelies in action, you can go watch the movie Something Wild, where they appear as the band The Willies. Is that a movie you've seen, Rob? Yeah, I have. Not, not to my knowledge, no. Um, Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have seen it. I think it's directed by the, I'm blanking out on his name, but the guy who directed Stop Making Sense, the uh, Talking Heads, Talking Heads concert movie? film. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So Original Love, that's what we started the program off with. That was your pick. It is probably my favorite song off of this album. What do you think about this album? I Honestly, I was a little disappointed after Uh Fosse Law. I was expecting something a little bit more energetic. Yeah. You know what? This is one of those albums that I mentioned that I like okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I Like you, I feel like... I wanted something a little more energetic, a little more, um, I don't know, a little, maybe a little faster or a little harder, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, you know, fairly well. And, and yeah. down to original love, it, it's my favorite song. I enjoy yeah. in this particular song, I enjoy how the vocals and the, and the music kind of contrast with each other but at the same time they complement each other it, it it was doing something interesting here which made me interested in it but mm-hmm. but as far as like the whole album together you know i could pluck one or two songs off of it and and be okay well this is this is one of those bands that like takes forever to get to the vocals and has like yes. really <laughs> long fade-ins and yeah. would just like camp out on one chord for a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like <Yep. laughs> there's one one song where it's just like one chord for half of the song and then it switches to another chord and it's like such a relief and then it just stays camped out on that chord for the next minute. 
before it switches back to the first chord. And that's kind of it. They're that kind of a band. And so I like the energy and I think the musicianship is, is pretty good, but mm-hmm. the songwriting is, is very straightforward. Yeah. You know, a, a band that is brought up in a lot of contemporary reviews of this album when it first came out, rightfully so, is um, Jonathan Richman and the Modern Lovers. No, and okay. the two songs that we've heard so far, you don't really hear that, but my pick off of this, which is called Loveless Love, I think is of the three songs that we'll have heard by the, by the end of this episode. This is more indicative about the rest of the album. It doesn't seem important like to know what matters then said happen they already did I don't remember I'm not a huge fan of of the modern lovers. I th- I think you like them uh, yeah. and Jonathan Richmond more more than I do. But it's got that kind of an energy. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. You know, I listen to this album not as as we're covering it first. It's not the first album I listened to in this whole playlist. It was probably the fifth album I listened to, and so it kind of brought me down a little bit, which might have informed why. You know why I don't like it as much. Yeah, I'll listen to Modern Lovers all the time, and and you know I'll give these guys another chance. They certainly don't dislike them. So that is the Feely's debut album, Crazy Rhythms. I think both of us were a a little <laughs> underwhelmed by this, huh? Yeah, lukewarm maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little underwhelmed is a good good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. gonna not gonna hit my top ten for sure. <laughs> my suspicion is that it will be included on some submitted lists. I mean, this is a a band that our listeners or or at least one of the listeners was passionate enough about to reach out to us when yeah. we dropped the February edition and it was not included there. So I, I would say that this is an essential listen if people are being want to be responsible about coming up with a comprehensive top 10 list. Uh, this, is, this is not one to ignore. And who knows? It might grow. I, I like it. I actually, I actually mm-hmm. like it quite a bit, more than just about anything that was released in March. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> I- <laughs> I'd like a hangnail more than anything released in March. <laughs> Moving on to our next album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our next album is The Cure's second album, 17 Seconds. Uh, produced by Robert Smith and Mike Hedges. 
it was, I got to say, first off, I'm really happy to be covering this album. Um, I'm a big fan of The Cure anyway, but this second album of theirs is kind of a milestone, I think, uh, for me anyway, as far as my enjoyment of The Cure. Mm -hmm. uh, it hit number 20 on the UK charts, and it had a single, A Forest. Now, I love the whole sound of this album. I like Three Imaginary Boys okay, but to me, this album is the cure. Mm -hmm. uh, is this where they figure out who they are, and they kind of... Now, wait a minute. Are you sure that, that that's what you mean? Well... What about this? What about... This is where they mm -hmm. start to figure out who they are. <laughs> Yes, I mean I think that's correct. This is they're they're not they're not fully there. You're right about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But but this is kind of where they start to transform into that. You know that that well for one like that gothy that mm -hmm. gothy band that mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. knows them as. Um, and and I really think that 17 seconds is that point where it starts. You're right. It's not the point mm -hmm. where it fully happens. It's where it starts. You know, the last album, I liked it okay, but I'll be honest, it, it, this album right here, this is where I go, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. And I, mm. I felt it for every single song on the album. Um, again, there's this transformation. Now, the transformation into this whole gothy sound cost them their bassist, Michael Dempsey. Apparently, he didn't like the darker, moodier music that they they were playing and so he left i had i just got a new book called curapedia and it is really exactly that it's an encyclopedia with all these phrases connected to the cure so it's not a book that you can just read through but i did read a little story in there about how three guys in business suits jumped robert smith and beat him up in in an elevator and that was after the first album, before the second album, and it really colored his his attitude and his songwriting. Um, and and so knowing that going in, I was just I could totally see there's some kind of transformation within him. At any rate, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, so for this I picked. I, I almost said it was my favorite song, but it's. Again, it's hard to say because I like them. I like them all. But I picked In Your House. My history with this album is I discovered, I think the very first Cure song I ever heard, or at least was aware that it was a Cure, was Let's Go to Bed. And mm -hmm. therefore, yeah. and just loved it. Heard it once and went, wait, 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 what was the name of that band again? And went out and got J Japanese Whispers. And uh, not too long after that, Head on the Door and some other stuff and then it wasn't until 
my first year out of high school that I discovered Boys Don't Cry and went, oh, wow, this is like, this is them being punk. I really kind of, I really kind of like this. So I went in, this was down in Santa Barbara. I went into a record store and went up to the Clark. I was not that familiar with The Cure. I had a couple of their albums at that point and went, hey, The Cure, I really like Boys Don't Cry, which sounds very different than everything else that I've heard of them. What's another Cure <laughs> album that that sounds like that? And of course, I didn't know how inane that question was. And the poor Clark, <laughs> he he had to make a sale, sale. So he said, really, the only thing that you could say, which was, well, try their next album, 17 Seconds. I was so disappointed when I got home and listened to it because it was a completely different thing. Now, I've, of course, gotten over that, and I have an appreciation for this album because I can see the stepping stones in place to, um, you know, their path to greatness. Um, I, my very favorite Cure stuff is their more like mid 80s to late 80s pop. Sure, same here. I can see them course correcting on this this album and slowly making that journey to to that place that's gonna catapult them into superstardom so i appreciate all of that boy you're not gonna like this very much but (laughs) in a couple of different ways this album really kind of reminds me of the feelies album not not in Mm. sound but there, there are several similarities, right? So the, the story and the lyrics aren't kind of as important as the mood. They will like take a long time before the vocals will come in. Uh-huh. Songwriting wise, as far as chord patterns, chord progressions, very, uh-huh. very simple. Like just mm. camped out on a chord. I think the the Cure album has a little bit more as far as chord patterns than the feelies i'm not sure that there's a song off of the cure album that just sits on one chord for a minute and a half but they're they're much more interested in like mood and texture than they are on hooks or or being catchy or poppy i'm such a songwriting guy oh and also just the way that the voice the vocals are are mixed you know it's not you you really have to go hunting for the meaning and the the stories behind the songs you know it's not the vocals aren't put up front um which is right. which is fine it's a stylistic choice but all of those things kind of seem similar i mean there's many many things that are very different between the two as as far as the energy goes but and all of those things are not you know not playing to my taste Obviously, eventually we're going to do a deep dive on The Cure or probably Mm -hmm. a couple of deep dives on The Cure. And my suspicion is that this album might be in the bottom half for me Uh of of The Cure output or or maybe right in the middle. So so I, I, I like it, but I don't love it. I think I appreciate it more than I get excited about it. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So you appreciate its place in music history mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to you just have to hear it. Now, I, I can totally respect that. I understand what you're saying. And as far as where it would be placed in my scale of cure from one to 10, it'd probably be in the middle or even in the bottom half uh, mm -hmm. for me as well. But that's because I like a lot of their stuff. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, and, and as you said, as time goes on towards the mid to late 80s, I love their stuff. I, yeah. I couldn't get enough of it. Off of this album, there were no real like hits, so to speak. But I think A Forest is the most famous song off of this album. It's the one that seems to appear on most of the best of compilations uh, released. Mm -hmm. Before this episode, we actually have already heard a song off of this album called Play for Today which was featured in our predictions episode uh, at the very beginning of the season. My pick off, honestly, this was sort of a close your eyes and pick sort of a situation because yeah. I like all the songs just yeah, about exactly. the same. But um, for whatever reason, this song M leaped out at me. Another one of my favorite Cure, Cure songs. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was close your eyes and just just pick. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I love that. Now, A Forest is probably my favorite song on the album, um, but I like them just as, almost just as much as, and In Your House about the same. I like the tempo. I like I like how the, the vocals, Robert Smith sounds like he's kind of distant and you know, in the background almost to the music, but they still work together. I don't know. I loved it all. I, I think what makes A Forest so compelling is it's kind of the most driving of yeah, the songs yeah. off of this album, um, To in, in my recollection. I still have an appreciation, a more of an appreciation for this album now that I know kind of the story of, of um, Wire's influence on Robert uh -huh. Smith and uh, you know you don't hear any wire in this album at all but you can see how it was in influential to Robert Smith in the abstract as far as like the concept of hey we gotta we gotta go in a different direction we gotta try something new I mean at at, I'm pretty sure that when The Cure was touring with Wire, Wire was promoting uh, 154, which is by far of their three original albums the most atmospheric, which could have been a more direct influence for, for Robert Smith. So, so getting that sort of 
background information I, I think is helpful for me to um, at least appreciate this album more if I don't actually enjoy it as much. Fantastic. Well, I think the book Curipedia is one that I'm going to be touching on quite a bit because mentioned in that book, it, along with Wire, are so many other bands that uh, yeah. you know uh, were connected to, to The Cure in some way or another. Well, that was The Cure's second album, 17 Seconds. And as far as it being on the top 10 for 1980, I, uh, I've got to say yes. It, it's definitely mm -hmm. going to make my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will not be making mine. Um, I, I can say f for certain that at some point, a Cure album or two will make my final end of the year top 10. But I think it's going to be a, a couple of years before before we get to that point. And obviously, this is this is an essential album to check out um, if you're if you're serious about making your personal top ten list. Um, yep, for sure. Moving on to the UK subs, their second album, Brand New Age, was released in April of 1980. This was an oopsie for us because we missed their debut album, uh, 1979's Another Kind of Blues, uh, which included the only song of theirs that I was familiar with, you know, back in the day, which was Stranglehold. So this band has had 83 members um, over the years. <laughs> so it's one of wow. those kind of bands. Um, this album, Brand New Age, hit number 18 on the UK charts. They, of course, um, are a British band. Boy, when we were having our conversation about the March output, uh, and I said that March was the last nail in the coffin for... Uh, first wave punk that was i mean it was an it was a nice idea it was a nice clean narrative but it was very wrong so i'm going to amend and update um that and i'm gonna now say that spring of 1980 sees the last nails in the coffin of the first wave of punk uh because there are there are a number of Bands releasing albums in April that continue the the conversation about yeah. the difficulty of evolving past. So U UK Subs is one of those bands. They they are part of the original first wave of British punk rock. There were two hits off of this album, uh, at least in the UK. The songs. Warhead and Teenage. Let's kick things off with my pick off of this album, a song called Rat Race.
There are three albums released in April of 1980 that I have the hardest time keeping separate because they they really kind of conflate together with yeah. the same kind of sound. <laughs> they do. It's okay. I I like it. It it feels a little long in the tooth this this approach towards towards the the punk thing. I, I think the songwriting is okay. Um, this to me is not a particularly memorable album, uh, but, but it's all right. I, I kind of like it. Wh- how, where are you at with this, Rob? Well, as far as a punk band, as far as an oi, an oi band, I, you know, I dug it. I, I like, are it. they oi? Uh, at least I've heard them called that. Um, mm. mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed this album a bit. I, I think that you're right that the songwriting itself isn't especially dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the songs for the most part are pretty straightforward and kind of limited as far as what they, you know, what they're saying. But, uh, I mean, they, and they definitely have something to say, you know, there's, there's some politically charged songs on this album that are important and, you know, um, but, I think I think even in that case, some only some of the songs really speak to me, you know. So what's your pick off this album? Well, I picked the song Warhead, and I know it's a single, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. This one, this is one of those that actually spoke to me. It's it's again, it's a politically charged song about threat of uh, nuclear war. Yes, it's and it's one of those things that like the average everyday person worried about you know the fact that something big was brewing or starting to bubble up and they could feel it coming so a typical generation x anxiety song (laughs) yep yep I like what you said uh, about it being a typical Generation X anxiety song because <laughs> I think that's why it spoke to me. You know, that's that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all these things that were happening in the world. You know, the 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 folks on the streets of of the UK they they felt it they felt it boiling up and and they yeah. saw it boiling up. I mean, it was creating angst in the streets at, at home. So, yeah. uh, you know. Well, if anyway. if you hadn't picked this song, I would have because I I think that uh, the two songs that we just heard are really the only two that leaped out at me. All the rest just kind of blended together. It was uh-huh. it, it's okay, but um, not not a lot of of very interesting songwriting going on. And um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's okay. I mean. I gotta grade these types of albums on a curve because it's it's not 
you know, I don't have a natural inclination um, for for this type of punk, but right, it's okay. So that is the UK Sub's second release, Brand New Age. Doesn't sound like either Rob or I will be considering it for the best of 1980s uh, top 10 list, at least our personal list. Is it essential? Mm. I couldn't say. I, I don't think so. <laughs> but like I said, I I don't have a, a propensity for this type of, of punk. I think that there are probably some UK subs fan out there that's that's going to put it on their list. I think that mm-hmm. somebody feels it's essential as far as how it kicked off a lot of a lot of attitude in the punk movement, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess it's a little bit harsh, but I would be inclined to to classify the UK subs as sort of like also rans in the original British punk scene, you know? Uh-huh. So a little, uh, maybe a little second tier. Gotcha. Moving on to something very different. The Passions, their debut album is called Michael and Miranda. Um, they are the Passions. Rob, were you familiar with the passions at all they were they they are literally a one-hit wonder uh like yeah globally um, a one-hit wonder i was not familiar with them at all but i gotta say mm. i was happy to discover them yeah yeah <laughs> so their second album includes a song called I was in love with a German film star, which is the only, <laughs> yeah. only passion song that I was familiar with uh, prior to um, diving into this album. A song that has popped up on a couple of compilations that I've owned over the years. Uh, a fun kind of more of a novelty, not n- novelty song, but this album really surprised me. I like this album a lot and there are quite, I mean, there's there, I don't think there's a song on here. I don't like some of them. I like more than others. Um, one of my favorites is, I believe the, the first song on the album called pedal fury. doesn't necessarily sound like it but this is a british band um they've got they've got a different energy than than a lot of the the stuff coming out of of britain at the time but but this is a a, a british band i really like it i i think that the vocalist is extremely limited kind of reminds me of um gina x 
in that yeah. sense. So, yeah. so the the success of the songs really depend on the songwriting and the arrangements. I feel like Pedal Fury has one of the more um, dynamic arrangements, um, which makes it kind of maybe stand out a little bit more than than most of these songs. But this is, uh, I, I, I like this album quite a bit. Uh, where, where are you at with... Um, I'm, I'm exactly where you are. I like it quite a bit as well. Um, you're mm-hmm. mentioning that the, the vocalist is kind of limited. Uh, you know, it's that... I'm a big fan of this kind of sound, this this mm, kind of mm-hmm. vocalization. Mm-hmm. I, I like this kind of, uh, this female punk sound that, you know, that this band is kicking out. Um, and, and I don't, I mean, I guess it's limited, but for some reason it just, it, I don't know if it's like nostalgic to me because I, I heard, I've heard this sort of thing before, but it, mm-hmm. it's something I really enjoy. And, and I think that's partly why I love, I love this album. Okay, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Okay. If you had to choose between this album and the debut album by The Raincoats, because I feel like they they have the same kind of energy, but yeah. a different sound. My sense is that uh, the passions are kind of written off because of their their one-hit wonder status and that the... German film star song is a bit of a gimmicky novelty song, but but right. this this whole album I think is is really solid and I find more engaging and more successful than than the Raincoats album. Than the Raincoats. Well, I I like the Raincoats uh, self titled. That's their first album, right? The Raincoats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that quite a bit, and you're right. There's a similar sound. I. If I had to choose one or the other, I'd probably go with this one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And this comes from a place where I don't I don't realize this is a one-hit wonder band because mm, yeah. I, I, I really haven't, you know, I have no context with that. <laughs> yeah. I haven't really heard anything by the Passions before now, so. Yeah, I, I, and I think their mindset is, a, is like a little bit more like the fall than it is uh-huh. like new wave pop sort of a thing, yeah. which which is yeah. is a fun energy. I picked a song, however, called Obsession, and and I think I picked that song because for me this is I don't know this is just my kind of song. <laughs> I had to laugh when I saw that 
this was the song that you picked. Oh, okay. This is a song that sounds like it's picked by a guy who is kind of sad that he's not still listening to the Cure album. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it was written for me. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so you you get it when I say this is kind of my yeah. my kind of song. It really is. <laughs> I don't love this song. I I think it's a little it's a little dreary, which is uh uh-huh. That's probably yeah. pro- probably why you like it. Yeah. Which reminds me, there are I think three or four picks off of. Um, you know, from this batch of albums that are close to my least favorite song off of off of the album. So we're I think we're gonna be in a completely different headspace on on a lot of this. But <laughs> this song, thank goodness for the weird sort of like energetic tempo spurts um mm-hmm. a couple of places during the song. If if it weren't for those I would find this song um, eminently skippable. The energy of Pedal Fury and uh, a number of the other songs really appeal to me much more. I think I think this is kind mm. of the the slowest song on the album. Yeah, well, you know, it's got that. Uh, b- besides the 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 tempo spurts that you mentioned, which I found to be. A really interesting choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the song is like very atmospheric. It's got this creeping, seeping dreariness, like you mentioned. It gets boring. Under your skin and, and that's boring. Exactly, that's see. That, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. That's exactly please, why I like. Please continue. <laughs> I don't know. It's that it's that dreariness that I like. Some yeah. you know, and and I think that those spurts of of you know tempo spike really. I don't know. They really did something for it. Uh, I agree with you there. That yeah. it, it, I think also it's it's an interesting choice uh, in the arrangement. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that is the Passions debut album, Michael and Miranda. I would classify this as a find. This is an album that I'm going to go back to. I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited about their next album. Uh, very, very curious about this band. It's not a serious contender for my top 10 list, but this is this is the kind of album that is, for us doing the podcast, this is the good stuff, stumbling across an album like this. Yeah. There are quite a few albums released in April where they're completely new to me and... I'm just embracing them as part of my arsenal. It's a quirky little odd album in the nooks and crannies of the of the post-punk new wave mo- movement that that I just love stumbling across. So, yeah. Any ch- any chance it's going to um, make your top 10? You know, I'd like to say maybe, but to be honest, there's so much coming still yeah. and and it's it's not yeah, I, I don't think it's going to make my top ten. I, I, yeah, there's there's just so much that's mm. coming. So many good 
good albums coming. Mm -hmm. So, but I am going to go back and listen to it again, and I'm probably going to put some of these songs at least on various playlist rotations. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It was a good find. So that's The Passions, Michael and Miranda. The next album that we're going to cover is The Angelic Upstarts with We Gotta Get Out of This Place. It's, it's, uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's a hard road, boy, let me tell you. <laughs> we, we've heard from The Angelic Upstarts with their 1979 album, Teenage Warning, this is their second album, and I have listened to this album three times. And without, well, listening to it three times, kind of not really deeply listening to the lyrics or getting, you know, mm. getting really absorbed into it, um, I feel, I felt like it's a solid, maybe even important punk, punk album. Mm. Um and that it's got all these like songs that reach anthem status as far as the young punk wanting to to raise their fists and and you know really you think so i mean i think it's got a couple yeah comparing it to their last album i felt like their last album had many more better anthems oh, yeah. than this one no you, you're you're not wrong about that. Mm. Uh, they had some really great songs on that last album, yeah. but I still think that this is a. I think it's a good. I think it's a good solid punk album. So what did you, what did you pick? Well, I picked Never Add Nothing. This is a this is a tough song, and by tough song, I mean this is a tough guy who's, mm -hmm. you know, again kind of sh shaking a fist and 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 you know he's pissed off and you know it's it's all about attitude, um, and he's singing about a tough life. Mm -hmm. it, again, to me, it's kind of a, a true punk album, and you know, uh, well after this album, Warner Brothers dropped them and. And I don't think I don't think it hurt them much because EMI was there to pick them up. But it's uh, it's a hard it's a hard album, you know. It's mm -hmm. a tough tough album. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and listen to my pick off of this album. I picked King Cole. If I hadn't picked King Cole, I probably would have picked um, Never Add Nothing. These are the two songs that I feel like come closest to to living up to my expectations from the last album I was hoping that this album would be more of the stuff that I like 
off the first album, which was the more anthemy stuff. Mm-hmm. It is a song called King Cole. Running on my Wellington boots, overalls, fire suit. This is the second of the three albums that I keep. I have a hard time musically yeah. <laughs> not confusing yeah, right. with um, two others released this the same month. So I was eh about this album, and the more that I listened to it, the more, y- you know, when we had our discussion about Oi during the March episode, I made the mistake of saying uh, that so far of all of the Oi albums, I hadn't heard anything that lyrically that was problematic or set up any red flags. And mm-hmm. boy, I should have just kept my mouth shut because... As I was listening to this album, um, I got more and more uneasy about it. Just lyrically, uh, the the one the one that really leaped out at me was the song "Capital City," and I know that is pretty common in punk for lyrically the the singer to draw attention to a subject by playing a character who's kind of an awful character. And so it's possible that Capital City is, the lyrics are narratively a character that you're supposed to find repugnant. But, uh, so there are there are some xenophobic and homophobic lyrics in that song uh, specifically. That was the Angelica of Starts. We got to get out of this place. It is their uh, their second album, and it's a big no as far as the top ten on my list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their first album did appear on one listener submitted list last year. Cool. Mm-hmm. My sense is that uh, I think kind of universally their first album is is uh, better regarded than this album. So this this one feels non-essential to me, but I at this point, I don't think I can be very objective about it. All right, let's move on to The Crocodiles. This is a New Zealand band. Their debut album was called Tears. Well, let's listen to my pick off of this album before we go any further. 
My pick is a song called Working Girl. I see her every day except for the weekend. She's just a working girl. But as I know, she ain't got no boyfriend. She's got me in a world. But she's a working girl. Can't wait to get home for a hot cup of coffee. Turn on the TV set. One day she'll meet a boy and he'll make her happy. Crocodiles had a, a fairly substantial hit in New Zealand with the title track off of this album. Rob, what did you think about this album? I, I want to hear what you what what you have to say before I get into to where I'm at. I was surprised by it. You know, I I liked it. I actually liked it. it there, I think the songs were kind of whimsical and puzzling, and. <laughs> <laughs> um, and surprising. So mm. I, but I did, I got a kick out of it. I liked, uh, especially on working girl. I liked the whimsy there. I liked the piano. Um, I, I don't know what to say other than, you know, it, it, it felt kind of, kind of silly and kind of fun, but, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Well, despite what I said about the Angelic Upstarts album, um, and I had some strong feelings about it, that is not the one album from this bunch that I despise. It is this album. I hate (laughs) this album. (laughs) Fantastic. This is not for me at all. Now, that surprises me. I don't know. Because as a songwriter and a musician yourself, you... You have some very interesting, dynamic, whimsical-sounding music, and and I don't know. In a nutshell, I'm not buying any of it. Gotcha. I'm kind of irritated by this album the same way that I'm irritated. I was irritated by the um, Four Out of Five Doctors album, where it's oh, yeah. kind of like it's it's kind of all over the place, not focused. Usually when I talk about an album like that, I just sort of like, I will say, this is not for me at all. Don't care for it and just Mm -hmm. leave it at that. But this album really annoys me. Um, They are, it, it kind of annoys me the same way that Nick Lowe's The Jesus of Cool annoys me where it's so smug and so pleased with itself and really really annoying i can't believe you played the nick low card (laughs) (laughs) that's rough (laughs) i don't know it just it really irks me that they're putting on a new wave hat I, i just i I love New Wave. I feel kind of protective of of New Wave and for a band like this to to kind of just jump on the bandwagon, uh, their hearts clearly not in it. Uh-huh. I mean, I would say I I scribbled down a 
bunch of artists that while I was listening to this album for the first time, uh, that this, uh, it reminded me of. So I have like Mamas and the Papas, ELO, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Nick Lowe, uh, George Harrison, Billy Joel. I just, and then to top it off. So my dislike for this album was sort of instantaneous like first song oh I don't like this second song oh I don't like this just I kept going and going the (laughs) second to the last song is a song called it's the latest and so by the time I got to it's the latest my dislike for this album was was pretty much settled but this was just the icing on the cake and sort of the trigger for me to kind of spout off a little bit more than I would normally for, yeah. for an album like this. <laughs> so in the la- it's the latest is basically a song about new wave music and how it ain't nothing. And it's just, it's, it's sort of, I'm getting really tired of bands like this referencing new wave and they, one of their songs it is the first song on the album has new wave in the title uh another, yeah. another similarity to uh four out of five doctors that have new wave in the title of one of their songs but it's the latest so you know it's very much kind of like billy joel's it's still rock and roll only this song is much more sort of like, it ain't nothing. It's kind of dumb. Uh, <laughs> I'm tempted to say this is one of the songs that you picked that is like my least favorite on the album. But I would say that with just about any song that you picked off this album. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, obviously we see differently, see yeah. this album a little differently, but I totally understand and agree with what you say about you know you mentioned the various bands that that this sounds like none of those bands are the same no they don't sound the same necessarily but this band tries to sound like all of them yes um and and so that i recognized immediately it was one of the things that surprised me so the song that i picked off of this album is a tune called All Night Long. Even though you and I see differently as far as like our enjoyment of this album, we agree that this band is, they're trying to sound like other people. They're, they're not really doing what it is they're hoping to do. And like you said, putting new wave in a, in a, the title of a song doesn't mean that you're (laughs) cementing yourself as one of the great new wave bands. It, it, 
Yeah, it kind of makes you a little bit of a wannabe. But <laughs> but to me, All Night Long sounds like it should have been big to fans of various various genres, various bands, various subgenres. Um, and I wrote down a couple of names that I thought this sounded like, one of which was Billy Joel, <laughs> one of which was Nick Lowe, one of which was Queen. And hmm. if it was just sounding like Queen, I think I would have liked it a whole lot more. But, you know, it, it, and I don't hate it. I don't dislike it at all. There was not a single album on this playlist tonight that I dislike. Uh, so I did enjoy it, but I totally agree that they sound like they're trying to sound like everybody else. So um, on that note, I have a hard time calling it New Wave. <laughs> So you're the the song that we just heard your your pick all night long. Mm-hmm. What immediately pops to mind, and this is never a good thing when I make this comparison. It sounds like yeah. a song that George Harrison might have written in the late eighties. Uh, not to specifically bag on on George Harrison in general but by like his cloud 9 album and all of that stuff in the late 80s just sounded so stale and um not not a high point for me at all and that's not for you i happen to be i happen to be a fan of cloud 9 oh. <laughs> <laughs> it but but i think also an album like that holds a certain sense of nostalgia mm-hmm. for me yeah. and it, it's not yeah. just the album it's like what was i doing during that time yeah. what was i you know yeah. so i i recognize that but i think you might be right there yeah this this album i w- i would be willing to just kind of write right off and not have any real strong emotional reaction to it except for they're just they're so smug and so pleased with themselves That just bugs me. (laughs) Just irks you. Yeah. (laughs) So that is the Crocodiles debut album called Tears. If you, this is a favorite of yours, um, please let us know. uh, Give us your perspective on this album. um, If it it should be represented uh, for certain. I, Rob, I think you, you did your best, pretty good, pretty good, um, attempt at being an advocate for pushing back on me. Uh, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I still, like I said, I still enjoyed the album. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it was surprising. I found it fun. I found it whimsical. Um, I found, I also said that I found it puzzling. <laughs> that is, that is the truth. Moving on to Chrome's fourth album, Red Exposure. We, of course, talked about their first three albums. They are a a pretty influential industrial band. This is the album that I was looking forward to just from what I kind of heard and read about and... I was not disappointed. Uh, This is the first Chrome album that I have listened to straight through in one sitting multiple times. 
And I like it a lot. Let's kick it off with my pick off of this album, a song called Animal. Refresh everyone's memory. This is a, a San Francisco band who were always more popular in the UK and Germany than they were here in the US. And the core members of this band were Helios Creed and Damien Edge. I bet that hardcore Chrome fans kind of dismiss this album as kind of their sellout album. But um that's a good thing for for me. I mean, this is this is industrial <laughs> music for the rest of us. Um I I think it is kind of a joy to listen to to this album. I was I always brace myself when I I sit down for to to listen to a chrome album. Uh this was such a relief to listen to this. I This is one that I have gone back to several times. Always happy to do it. Uh, my big criticism of the Chrome albums in the past have been uh, that they haven't fig- they hadn't figured out how to deal with the vocals. They got it dialed in on this one. There was not yeah. one moment where I, I go, ooh, they bungled those that application of their vocals. They have they have got it figured out, <laughs> uh, which is which is big. But also the the music is interesting. It's still mildly challenging without being grating or. I mean, I guess it's repetitive, but it's not repetitive. It's repetitive in a pleasant way. Probably the members of of Chrome don't like the word pleasant to be used when they're talking about their music. So take take it all in the context of we're talking about a Chrome album. So, Rob. Yeah. Red Exposure. Pretty damn good, huh? Um, I really liked it. I really liked it. And I want to kind of reiterate some of the things that you said, you know, interesting musical arrangements. Um, I, I again, go back to like this kind of distant vocal sound. Um, not that they are trying to understate the vocals. It's just a a style where there's this kind of echoey vocal, this like distant sounding, not just, audibly but but the tone of it all is kind of distant mm, you know mm-hmm, the the mm-hmm. the feeling of it is distant yeah we catch a lot of sounds here that we've never heard before neither of them have great voices but they figured out how to make it work 
I yeah. say kudos to them. Yeah. Another big thing is there is very little, uh, there's still a bit, but very little of that sort of like um, early 70s jam guitar sound that I sure. don't yeah. like that was yeah. more prominent on their their past albums. So happy to see that that is being they're they're really kind of getting a lot of things dialed in moving forward i'll always be happy to hear a new chrome album this might be sort of like the optimal chrome for me as far as my sensibilities go (laughs) but i i really like this album yeah i i enjoyed it as well and like i was saying there's they incorporate things that we've never heard before in this album, mm, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I, not, not just that we've never heard from Chrome, but I think they incorporate like sounds that we've never heard from anybody before. Mm. So I, I find it, I, again, I find it interesting and yeah, it, it maybe it's their quote, sell out end quote <laughs> album. You know, it's their like, uh, it's Metallica's Black Album or whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> the hardcore fans are always going to have that one album that they, like, want to yeah. slap themselves in the head with. But, you know, everybody else loves it. <laughs> so this is going to sound crazy, way out of left field. Um, yeah. I would not say that this is quite falls into the category of neighborhood barbecue music. But if for some no. reason, <laughs> if for some reason... My only choices were industrial albums. This would be it. This is the industrial equivalent of a neighborhood barbecue music. I mean, this is this is okay. really pleasant okay. background music, um, as well as being interesting to just sit, you know, sit down and listen to. I'm looking forward to hearing more. Even though now I understand that this is yeah probably the only album of its type that they put out, but we'll. <laughs> You know, we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to hearing them again. This is another close your eyes and pick. Uh, any any song I would be happy to, to listen to off of this album. Well, I picked what I felt was a really fun song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And by fun, I mean, this is kind of the Rob song maybe mm-hmm. to pick. Mm-hmm. But I picked Electric Chair. Electric Chair. Greatly enjoyed this song. Greatly enjoyed this album. I am, I'm glad it's it's here. Uh, but you know, again, there's so much coming. I gotta say that uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what they have. It's as far as all the other all the other albums on this list, they are probably probably in the top half of my mm. my my list of. Uh, mm-hmm you know, a bands for this, this set. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're here. 
Well, I now have a new favorite industrial album, and uh, with acknowledging that hardcore industrial fans um, probably will question whether this actually qualifies, but like I said, this is <laughs> this is industrial for the rest of us, um, and uh, it's. Having said that, it's not a consideration for my personal top 10 and end of the year list, but it is, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I highly recommend this album. And this is where we have to stop. We have run out of time. We're about halfway through. We've got some fantastic albums yet to discuss. Rob, why don't, why don't you tell everybody what to expect next episode? Monochrome Set's Strange Boutique, Sham 69's The Game, The Undertones Hypnotized, Grippo Sportivo's Copy Copy, Vic Goddard and Subway Sex, What's the Matter Boy, Bad Manners with Ska and B, New Music with from A to B and X is Los Angeles. Another thing, Rob, are you ready for this? I'm just going to Beetlejuice this. You ready? <laughs> Go for it. Go to Apple Podcasts, write a review. Go to Apple Podcasts, write a review. Go to Apple Podcasts, write a review. Did it work? Um, yeah, I'm writing a review right now. Excellent. <laughs> it worked. Yay! We've talked about a lot of music tonight. And regardless of what our personal taste may be, the very fact that we're discussing it 40 plus years later places its creators in the highest echelons of hardworking musicians their legacy and legitimacy are beyond reproach all right rob well i i guess it's time for us to say our goodbyes we're going to go out on a song from one of the albums released in april of 1980 that does not fall in the purview of our podcast which is Lou Reed's album, Growing Up in Public. This is the song, How to you, Do You Speak to an Angel? Any last words, Rob? No, other than I love this song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I've enjoyed a lot of music tonight, and this is a really cool way to round it off. Not part of, a, not part of our podcast, per se, but yeah, I'm glad yeah. we worked it in. At any rate, I've had fun. We've gotten a fair amount of guff for not covering Lou Reed. Um, and we we still eventually, at some point, will do a bonus episode on um, the yes. Velvet Underground for sure. But um, here, we here we're, we're throwing the dog a bone, right, Rob? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for everything tonight, Joseph. It's okay. been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, everybody, we will talk to you next week. See ya. Son who is cursed with a harridan mother or a weak simpering father at best is raised to play out the timeless classical motives of filial love and incest. How does he speak to her? How does he speak to the prettiest girl? How does he talk to her? What does he say for when old? What does he say if he's shy?